2% podcast and I'm your host, Helen Femi Williams. And I'm your second host, Julie Verhage-Greenberg. This podcast is brought to you by This Week in Fintech, which is the front page of global fintech news, fostering the largest fintech community through newsletters, thought leadership and events. And of course, podcasting. And you might have listened to our other podcast, Hey Fintech Friends. Well, this podcast series is all about women exploring everything from investing to motherhood to intersectionality and so much more. And we encourage you to give us feedback on the topics you think we should be discussing and asking in future panels. I think Julie and I and the wider This Week in Fintech team recognize that ensuring women are well represented in any industry is always going to be beneficial. Gender diversity has shown to spark better problem solving, superior performance, innovation, so much more. I could go on. You're right, Helen. And if we were specifically talking about fintech, the industry could benefit from more women at any level because women in general have not typically been in the spotlight as a target audience for financial products and services. They're an underserved customer segment with a massive unmet need. And beyond that, female founders and executives have personal experience understanding how to generate and align new ideas and solutions in this field. And that's why this podcast is called Beyond 2%. There is a world of tech-driven financial products and services that is yet to be discovered because of the lack of women leaders in this space. And through group discussions with leaders in these spaces, this is what we want to explore. This week, it's all about investing. And thank you to our sponsors, New York City Fintech Women. Fintech Women's mission is to connect, promote, empower women to advance their careers. They need help from everyone if we're going to make a real change, encouraging male allies to become members and come to our events. Membership is free and you can sign up at nycfintechwomen.com and follow them on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Laura Speakerman, recognized by Cranes New York in 2021 as a notable woman on Wall Street, is a co-founder and chief revenue officer at Alloy. Prior to Alloy, Laura led business development and partnerships at an ACH payment startup and was on the research and investment team at Imprint Capital Advisors, which was acquired by Goldman Sachs. Laura is a proud Bernard College alumna and lives in Berkeley, California. Maya has an entrepreneurial background as the co-founder of Roxbox, a subscription jewellery rental company, and Pinch, a financial inclusion company that built credit scores by reporting rent payments. Now, Maya invests in technology startups and works at Chime, a financial technology company. She lives in Bellingham, Washington, serves on the Franklin W. Olin College of Engineering Board of Trustees, and tweets startup punditry at Maya B. on Twitter. Beyond... I am very excited to dive into this topic because it is something that, you know, I need all the advice I can get about now, given that I am about to become a mom and I want to continue working. I want to continue building my career. That's always been super important to me. And I know that Laura and Maya are very much of the same mindset. So I'm very excited to have them here for this discussion. I want to kick it off by just saying that um, I remember when I was running FinTech Today And I asked Laura to do a post about fundraising. I believe it was your Series B that you were fundraising while you were pregnant. And I remember getting an email from uh, one of your staff members at Ally with your draft, like the day, a day before Thanksgiving or something like that, saying like, Laura is actually going into labor. She wrote this like on the way to the hospital or something like that. And I was like, that is so typical of like hardworking woman type thing. So I, Laura, I want to start with you and just 
talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, the process of one going through that fundraise, but two, you know, now I believe your son is what, about a year old or so, something like that. He's 22 months. Oh my God. He's almost two years old. Um, time is a very weird thing, especially when you're pregnant. Um, I want to just talk to you a little bit about that and then turn it over to Maya because she more recently had a child as well. Like very, very recently. (laughs) Yeah. Can't believe she's even here. I would have been somewhere under the covers. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. I think actually in the, the getting, um, sort of writing that blog post and getting it sent has a lot to do with me being a procrastinator, unfortunately, and not a, uh, you had a lot going on, (laughs) not, you know, yeah, powerful, uh, pregnant lady, but it was, um, it was, you know, one of those things where I felt some amount of pressure to wrap up as much as I could before I headed into the unknown, uh, which I'm glad I did because it, it truly was, I remember like the first 10 days, 10 days into having a baby, I realized we needed to order some things from Target and I like could not picture, I just remember sitting there going like, I have no idea how I'm going to open my computer and put the few things I need in my shopping cart and then check out and do that. I, I, it was like unfathomable. And fortunately I a few days later figured out how to do that. But the beginning was just so overwhelming and chaotic that I remember I couldn't even imagine shopping online at that point. So I'm glad I tried to, to try to wrap up loose ends before I went out on leave. Um, yeah. Fundraising itself was, I feel very lucky. I did it over Zoom because we were in a pandemic. There was no no pressure to meet in person. There were no in-person meetings at that point. Um, This was like summer 2020. So like no one was traveling. No one was making me go down to Sand Hill Road. Uh, And I felt very lucky that I got to do it all over Zoom, um, which meant I didn't have to travel and also meant no one could see my belly. So it was good for me and no one like asked me anything. And I, so I didn't have to figure out what to say. No one said, Hey, by the way, are you pregnant? Um, and so after, after we signed the term sheet, I did end up telling the people who were participating around like, Hey, just a heads up. And everyone was supportive. Yeah. I remember you saying in the post that there were actually a couple people that like sent you parenting books or yeah. like things off your registry and stuff like that, which I found yeah. super sweet as well. There was Victoria Traeger from Felicia's Ventures was really, she was like, it's nice to send gifts of course, but she was the most thoughtful. Like she was just like, you're needing to figure out how to get them to sleep and do all, you know, and so she sent me a bunch of books that she'd liked and and um I did end up reading them they were quite helpful the viewers you aren't able to see uh us filming this podcast but a lot of the times when Laura was talking Maya was just sitting there shaking her head like yep I can relate to that yep I'm a few weeks in definitely feeling that (laughs) well and I think um you know it's funny even hearing Laura's target story I have a target story which is I think on um day three or something, um, right? We were also out of something critical and I was going to do a Target store pickup. My sister was going to go pick it up for me. Um, and so I had my phone so I could handle like doing the order. Um, but they were out of something. Um, and they sent me a little notification like we're out of stock of this thing. And I started crying, which is very <laughs> unusual for me. I'm not a big crier, but it's like, I think, and like notoriously like three days in is like like all moms are crying about like just the most random things and so like that definitely hit me hard and it is just so funny that I was like I was crying because Target was out of stock of something and even my midwife had said she was like you know like some crying is normal 
Um, like if you're crying all day or, well, no, she was, she said some crying is normal, but if it's all day, like that's what, like she was talking and I had thought that she was talking about the baby, but she was talking about me, which I only realized like some way in through, um, her advice. Yeah. I remember when we, we were requesting, um, people to be on the podcast, my email to, uh, Maya in particular was like, I totally understand if you can't do it. Cause you're like, what, five weeks out, six weeks out. Like it's, it's very recent. Seven now. I don't know how you're doing it. I don't, although the woman that ran my baby shower this past weekend had just had a kid and she was only six weeks out. And I'm like, how are you like catering something right now when she like, supposedly had like breast pump cups in and everything that you couldn't tell that was like collecting milk and stuff I'm like god bless you but like I don't know if I could do that like I think it just speaks a lot to the pressure not necessarily that society puts on it but that we put on ourselves as well Um, whether we're founders of a company whether we're investors or whether we're even just employees somewhere Um, I'd love to to talk to you guys about that aspect so Laura, coming from, I mean, both of you are founders, so you'll have this perspective, but coming from the founder perspective, like, you obviously still want to set a good example and take some time off, but I feel like, you know, your startup is sort of like another baby in a sense that you're thinking of. So taking too much time away, I feel like, I I, I feel like there's some different dynamics that go on in there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little, the hard part, because I would love to be able to tell everyone, like, there's no great time. Do it whenever. But I like knew I couldn't do it at Series A or before. It just was not going to be possible. Um, I was the only salesperson, and you know, for a long time. So it just was not. I'm sure some people do it and they're successful. I didn't see a path for myself doing that. Um, so I waited until I knew, like, okay, if I was going to take off, you know, three or four months, we'd be okay. And that's when I chose to do it. And that's, uh, I mean, chose to do it as like these things happen, you know, not always on the timeline you want, but, um, that made it a lot easier because I knew that if I left for four months, the world wouldn't fall apart and it didn't. So I struggle with sort of like they're, you know, telling people to just do whatever they want when they want, because it is a tricky thing if you're running a startup, um, to just kind of like be away for four months. I found myself personally, I was, um, uh, very bored during my leave, not in a way that I was like itching to work and solve hard problems and do a ton of interesting things in fintech, but I didn't love being with an infant all day. And so I, and you just have unbelievable amounts of time sitting there breastfeeding, trying to get them to go to sleep, holding them up right after they've eaten for 30 minutes, like whatever the things are that you're doing. Um, so much time that, uh, I was, I read every single Slack message in that four months that went on at our company. And that's like a lot of Slack messages because I, and I didn't have two hands to do it. So I just have one hand and be on my phone, um, constantly in that, in that four months. So I didn't disconnect fully from Alloy. I did disconnect from, for the most part, being on calls and doing demos and all the stuff that I, I previously did because we had people do those, but I, I just wanted to stay engaged. Um, so I think everyone has their own thing and everyone also like, you, it's really hard to predict how you'll feel once you're there. I think some people really want to just completely disconnect and and not have anything to do with, with work. I just was, I think, so bored. I couldn't take it. Yeah. So I've been um, pretty disconnected and, you know, right, like I'm doing this podcast. 
Um, kind of my cadence is I do like one thing every day, right? So like yesterday we did, and a 30 minute Zoom call is a pretty low ask or is pretty like, well, not low ask. I feel like that's like a standard for like the one thing that I do every day. Um, yesterday we did, we're taking this workshop called Bringing Baby Home um, together. And so like we did that. So like that was yesterday's one thing. Today's one thing is doing this podcast. Um, so kind of like carving out. I am, so I'm like, I've been totally disconnected from work and I'm not a founder, right? I'm just an employee. And so I'm very confident that everything is fine and not falling apart without me. And that's really nice. But I want to echo what Laura says, which is it's much more boring than I expected. Like, I feel like I spend an infinite number of hours breastfeeding and it's very sweet. I like it. Like I like, and I kind of love like spending all day in bed, like feeding the baby, like it is very sweet but it is just outrageously boring. Um, and so, and it's hard, like the types of things you can, it's like reading Slack messages is a thing you can do. Watching TV is a thing, like there's just, I, I listen to audiobooks mostly, um, but there's really not that many things you can do because you're pretty occupied with all of the baby things. And so I'm taking, I'm, I've been pretty disconnected. I was actually thinking about uh, messaging my closest colleague at work and saying like, hey, I've been really disconnected, you know, the past seven weeks and like love that you guys haven't, right, reached out and have really respected that. Um, But I kind of want to tell her like, if there's any questions or anything, like I might kind of start plugging back in and I feel like that's setting a bad example, but um, it is, I almost wish like that we had a different structure or that like, I think I could even provide like 80% of the value I provide to my company by checking all the Slack messages for 30 minutes or an hour every day and pointing people towards the right resources and saying like, don't forget about this and make sure I check with this person on that and things like that. And so it's one of the things I've been struggling with. Um, I do wish that I had taken more time or had more space or support while pregnant. Um, And part of that was I was being a little bit deliberate. You know, we have certain amount of leave. And I was like, well, I'm sure I'm going to want to spend as much of that as possible, like actually with the baby. Um, but for me, first trimester, I don't know if it was particularly rough. I would, I almost think it was average. Like I think I had a pretty average experience. It wasn't really easy. It wasn't really tough, but I was surprised at how, um, like incapacitated I was, you know, I felt like I had the flu for kind of a long time and we don't expect people to work at all when they have the flu, but I was like, not sleeping well and had, right. I was nauseous all the time and I was eating only like water crackers all day long. And I was just like, it's crazy. I have to wake up and do a zoom call at 9am. Um, but also I'm not telling anyone. So there's like no real structure. The first trimester thing was really weird. It felt like I had this huge momentous thing, but I can't tell anyone or I'm not telling anyone and it might not materialize, right? Like it almost feels like if you get a new job, but it might be taken away from you. It's like celebrate, but not too much and don't tell anyone. And it was a very uneasy time for me. And then later on my pregnancy, so I had preeclampsia um, and I actually... When did you find out you had preeclampsia? So after I delivered. Oh, wow. Because like the blood, like there was a mix up with the blood test and... So for a couple weeks, 
we thought I had just um, gestational hypertension because I had really, really high blood pressure. So I had really, really high blood pressure. But but postpartum still. Um, I had, so I had, yeah, my blood pressure has been like creeping down postpartum, which I think is typical and good. Yeah. Um, but before I delivered like weeks, like, yeah, it was really scary. Like weeks, um, 34, 35, 36, I had really high blood pressure and I wish I had, like my midwife was saying like, Hey, you need to take it easy. You need to be on the couch, feet up, like reading a book. Um, And I started my leave at 36 weeks, um, which I even felt a little bit bad about. I think most people start later. Even somebody was telling me she was like, and she didn't know, she didn't know when I was taking leave. And she was like, my, she's like, I want to tell you, like, I took leave at 37 weeks. And she's like, and I love doing it so early. And it was such a big impact. I really encourage you to do that. And I was kind of like, Oh, I'm leaving at 30, like 36, like even earlier than her, like indulgent treat yourself leave start date. Um, and then I ended up delivering at 37 and a half weeks. And I wish I had, I honestly, I wish I had started at like 34 weeks and not been stressed out. Maybe would have helped with the preeclampsia and hypertension, which is really scary. Preeclampsia is the, um, number one reason why women, that would cause a maternal mortality in the United States. Um, and I think I would have qualified for even, I think it wouldn't have cut into my maternity leave. I qualified for like disability medical leave, but I didn't understand that. So I have kind of like, it's funny, like I almost feel like I have more space and I think it's probably different for everyone. I have more space than I expected now. It's like, I got nothing to do all day. I'm just like, you know, but I wish I had taken more time or something. I wish there was some some more space in pregnancy because that was pretty rough for me. Listening to all this, like, it's so interesting hearing all your different aspects of like your leave. And I feel like I would have thought post baby, you're ha- like, I don't know. It's quite interesting to hear that you're kind of you want that time back. Um and like I've not had any kids. I've been around like my sister having babies, my niece and everything. Um, but one thing that I think is so clear maybe in this conversation is like the cultural aspect of it in the sense of like I'm coming from a British perspective where I know that, for instance, you know, um, people take leave at 26 weeks and then maternity leave is is around 52 weeks. And then I know, for instance, in Finland, um, they've just passed a law where um, each parent's gets um 69 days and if you're a single parent that means you get double and um actually i was actually reading that estonia of all countries has the best like uh, maternity leave and actually at the bottom of this unef um, report um at the bottom of the list of maternity leave was the u.s and it was basically saying that the u.s has the worst laws for maternity um and i think even it's to a point where like national paid leave is not even a thing so i don't know um, maybe maybe that particular fact was wrong, but that's what it said in the report. But I guess the point I'm making is there's a if no one's taking leave and also the, the government and things like that are not encouraging that kind of aspect, I think it probably puts a lot of pressure on women to kind of essentially, like you were just saying, Raya, with you and your friend, you, you you thought that what you that you were taking a lot of leave when actually in other countries you would be you would have already been on leave and you would have been encouraged to take leave. So do you feel like um there is a different way in the US and is there and what would be a better way to kind of have that leave 
Like, because it doesn't necessarily mean that Finland or any of these countries are correct in how they do it. Is there a third way that we should be thinking about? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I actually think, I mean, I like my job. So I have 16 weeks of um, fully paid leave. And then I have, right. And then you have more if you for medical or whatever. So I think I had another week and a half um, for medical leave. And so within the US, it's like, I feel like quite generous um, and about as good as it gets. And that is supported by, so there's the, yeah, you're correct that there's no federal law around maternity leave in the US. Instead, we have a actually horrible patchwork of different programs. And so my leave is 100% paid, right? But that is cobbled together between um, the Washington State medical leave, uh, short-term disability, and because I have disability insurance. From it's all of these different programs, and even um, trying to shoehorn pregnancy into like this disability application I had to fill out was very awkward. And there's all these things. It's like, like when did this start and how much treatment do you need for this condition? And like trying to fill out this form for pregnancy, it clearly didn't make sense. Like we're trying to create, so I have a very privileged position where it's like 16 weeks. It's really great. Um, but it's clear there's no sort of official support. And that's just, that's a really big tax, right? Even, even for me, who I think it's kind of like, this is as good as it gets in the U S um, and still trying to figure out like how to combine my salary with, with all of the other um, pieces of the puzzle. I didn't answer, I deliberately did not answer your question because I do not know a better way to, to orchestrate it, unfortunately. One thing that is interesting to me too is just that Maya feels guilty for going back to work too early. Like, oh, like maybe I shouldn't be checking my Slack. Maybe I shouldn't be doing these things. I'm setting a bad example. But yet we would also feel guilty for the opposite too. So like there's no... Women just make themselves feel guilty no matter what choice they're making, it seems like. So and I, I, I point that out because I relate the same way. Like, I don't want to set a bad example, but I also don't want to, like, overexert myself or, like, take away from the, from the time with me and my baby or things like that. And there's other, like, the entire journey of pregnancy, I feel like there's a lot of things that you do or say and there's a lot of guilt involved in a lot of those things. So it's not just necessarily even the work environment. It's just the whole process and maybe just the process of being a woman in the first place. I think the whole thing is, uh, you know, then you, like we're talking about pre-partum leave in these examples, which I think is, I've thought a lot about that first trimester too, which is, it is like arguably the hardest trimester, right? It, it sucks. You feel super sick even in a normal experience, which I think I had as well, like a pretty average experience. And it still sucked every afternoon. I felt like I was going to, you know, just completely fall apart. Um, and then you think about people who have, go through fertility struggles too, who have to go, they have a million doctor's appointments. They're on all these drugs. Um, not to mention sort of the, whatever the emotional toll may be as well, but there's just these other aspects too of just trying to get pregnant that play into this that I think are really hard where we, all we acknowledge is this kind of like postpartum X number of weeks. We're sort of saying like, that is what you get to, for yourself, for your family. And that's it. We don't really acknowledge other aspects of um, fertility, which I think is really hard. I also think it's hard to say like as an employer, 
it is, it's really hard to like, to be as generous as I think we like everyone should be right. It's hard. It's 52 weeks. Sounds wonderful. Like a true nightmare as a startup to have to deal with someone who's potentially out for 50 weeks, 52 weeks. Um, especially cause I think in the UK, at least you don't have to tell people when you're coming back. So you can be like, it might be 12 weeks and it might be 52 weeks. So you can't really plan ahead and say, okay, we're just going to hire someone and you know, whatever. Um, so it's really hard. I don't like, there's no great answers because as a startup, what do you, what are you supposed to do? Um, it's really, I think being generous in your policies only works for certain stages of, of, of startups. So I was actually reading like w- with the Finland example, they have like 164 days, actually. They've just passed the law in August. And, but the thing about that is it can be shared between both parties. So, um, for instance, you can decide you don't want to take any maternity and your husband wants to take all of the maternity of the paternity or vice versa. And I think, um, because people's family structures are so different and unique and it's not always just necessarily mum, dad or whatever. I think an aspect of where, I mean, this is just me just pondering, but it feels like an aspect where people can be flexible in who takes it. Cause for instance, like you said, as a startup, it wouldn't be feasible, but perhaps your partner is in a different situation. And, and in the law, like I was saying, if you're a single parent, then it's, it, they have law, they have structures for that. And I think because we can all recognize that like a, a nuclear family isn't necessarily always going to be like the dad is working and the mom is sitting at home. And you know what I mean? Maybe it is around like us thinking as a society about how we can be more flexible on like, we know that there is a baby at home who is going to look after it. It doesn't necessarily have to fall on the woman. And I think that's also where a lot of the pressure for women comes from where, you know, um, you, you're, you're kind of having that guilt, like Julie said, between, um, home life and, and work life and which one you're growing. And and even actually with a friend of mine who's got two young kids, that's the situation she was going through. Like Her kids are actually both at school age, but she was basically saying, does she take a job where she's paid well, but doesn't necessarily have to think about so much? Or does she take a job uh, and, and therefore she can kind of concentrate on her family more? Or does she take a job where it's going to be a challenge and she's going to have to like give it her thought process? But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a constant thing. But yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Maybe it's about restructuring how we see family, like restructuring how society sees families. I don't know. Well, the flexibility piece, I think, is really key there. And even when I think about, right, like for me, right, first trimester was really hard. Third trimester was really hard. Honestly, I feel so much better now because, and yes, I had to recover from giving birth and things like that. But I feel like myself well, when I was pregnant, like third trimester, I did not feel like myself, right? And I was like getting winded walking up the stairs and just, and I had um, acid reflux all of the time, which was horrible. And I would wake up in the middle of the night, like just burning in the back of my throat and I just had a miserable time. And so, but it's not like that for everyone, right? And I have support here at home. And so there's some flexibility there. It reminds me actually, um, I have a friend who was working for, a company that had great work-life balance, right? And she was checking in code at like 2 a.m. And she got kind of chastised at work. It was like, you shouldn't be working until 2 a.m. Like, do we need to take things off of your plate so that you're not working so hard? And how can we create like a better balance? But for her, she was like, guys, this is when I work best. And this is what a good work-life balance looks like for me. She's like, I don't show up at work. She's like, I sleep until noon every day. And I don't show up into work until later. So that's just the hours that work for her. Um, but we have this kind of like 
contrived idea that work-life balance means like you're only working from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. when that's work-life balance for some people, but not for everyone because different people want to work different hours. And so I think what it comes down to, like there is a big element of trust. I think we want to say like, right. I mean, so my leave is right. 16 weeks. It starts the day the baby is born. Um, and I don't work at all during that time. And I am a hundred percent paid. And then I a hundred percent come back to work after that. Right. So like it has to be really constrained and really explicit like that. Um, but I just wonder if there's opportunities like, well, what if we trusted people more? Could we build in more flexibility or what would that look like? Right. Would it be, you know, would it be uh, more creativity in the options so that people can come up with what works for them and like, how can we support everyone? It's like, what is an equitable way to support everyone given that they're starting in different places and they're all going to have a different journey, um, right? To Laura's point about fertility issues, um, which is, which is a whole nother game. It's like everyone has a different journey. They need different types of support in different amounts in different ways. Um, how can we create that for them? Something else that I think, you know, we focused a lot on the actual process of like work pregnancy and then right after pregnancy, but this continues. Like once you have a kid, there's so many, you might have to take the kid to daycare. They get older, there might be soccer matches and everything. So I think while I'm glad that a lot of the talk around this, both in our conversation and in like the national or world conversation is focused on the actual process of pregnancy and like right after, I think there's a lot to be said about just the flexibility that companies can put in to be more family friendly. Like at Orem, for instance, if you need to drop your kid off at daycare at 9am and you need to block off an hour on your calendar to do that, like just block off your calendar. It's no big deal. Um, whereas I feel like there's other jobs, service field, something like that, where it becomes so much more of an issue. Or if you're, you have a nanny and they're out sick and you're going to be like, Hey, like I might be in and out of calls today, or I might need to take the day fully off. Totally fine. Like, don't worry about it. So I think that, you know, we, we need to keep the focus on the, the first part as well, but also shift it to the process of like what happens after those 16 weeks that we get off too. It's not like, oh, now everything's easy and chill again and I can simply go back to work. No big deal. Like your life has completely changed. Yeah. I think the flexibility part, I mean, I think it should be the case for anyone, right? And I think we've had this like, at least at Alloy, but I think this is probably true more broadly. Um, developers, I think have always had this, like, we can stay up late and come, you know, we sleep till noon. And I think that's always been a little bit of the culture. And um, we've allowed that because they're very special creatures who need to be taken care of in the ways that they need to be taken care of. Uh, but I don't think we have that expectation, uh, to Maya's point, for other other people. And what you're saying, Julie, is totally right. Like, once you become a parent, your schedule is 100% not your own. You are reliant on your kids' schedules, school schedules, uh, the nanny schedule, our nanny just texted us while we were doing this, that she's going to be running late today. So it's like, all right, well now my, you know, my meetings are like whatever are thrown off. Um, and that's just how it works. And so you have to build in a lot more flexibility and it is, I will always have my pediatrician's appointments during the day. They cannot happen on weekends or at nights. And so I have to be able to take off two hours during the day, go do that. And I'll get my work done at other points. And so I, I also don't like that sort of like, you can't, text or slack or whatever on weekends it's like that's just not that is my time to catch up on things um and I think every company deals with it differently we've struggled with it where what do you what how do you set expectations that it's okay to do work nights or weekends but then not expect a response from certain people 
on nights or weekends because we're not saying you have to work on weekends. So it's a little, it, it's definitely hard, especially when you're making asynchronous decisions. Like how do you set up that framework? I don't think we've solved it. I don't know that anyone has, but there is something around how you communicate and how you do things asynchronously, I guess, that, that either makes it work or makes it doesn't work, makes it not work. Yeah, well, it, that reminds me. So when I've managed parents on my team, that synchronous versus asynchronous has always been the balance. If they say like, oh, this thing came up, right? Kids are sick, they're home from school and I got to watch them or take care of them. It's like, great, how can we shift your work from something that needs to be done during these specific hours to something that you can do when the kids are in bed or when you have that free time and sort of shifting around the work. I think Julie was talking about service workers, right? There's a huge element of privilege in all of this. And even it shows up in how Laura was talking about developers, like developers, right, are very highly paid, very high status position in tech, which is a very high status industry. Um, and so it's like, okay, for them, they can set their hours, right? And I think as you sort of like take your way down the totem pole of status, people get less and less flexibility, right? Such that, you know, for, I mean, for most service workers, so they don't have any paid parental leave and they have like zero flexibility in terms of I'm going to show up an hour late or I miss a shift or other issues with childcare. And so um, that's, I just feel like all of this privilege and status stuff sort of imbues this whole conversation. And where are we focusing? Like, are we focusing on improving work-life balance and support for families for the highest status members of our society or for the lowest status? Like where are we making improvements here? Um, is it something that I think about a lot too. I mean, I can't even, like, I'm thinking back to my first trimester and I can't imagine being like a bartender or a waitress or something during that. Cause like the smells, you're so exhausted from being on your feet all day. Like you're not thinking, you, your brain, like pregnancy brain starts way earlier than I thought it actually did. Like I couldn't concentrate on things anymore. Um, like all, like Maya said, like all of this comes from a place of privilege where every single one of us was able to have our pregnancy while working remotely from home. I can lay in bed and take a Zoom call if I want to, and my team's okay with it. Like that's. I did a lot of Zoom calls at like three o'clock in my bed with saltines in my mouth, and <laughs> I still was like very self pitying. I was like, "This is awful," you know. And yeah, imagine having like a real job where you had to show up in person and be nice to people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I was to ask a closing question, I think we've covered a lot here, actually. It's been really, really interesting. I guess I guess the question I have is if there's one thing you could change, basically, about the way like motherhood or, or, or maternity is treated, like what would it be? One thing that surprised me was how much I'd heard this sort of narrative around like breast is best is no longer the message that we send to people. But I very much did not feel that in the hospital postpartum like with our pediatrician with I I've the message that was given to me was still breast is best and I did breastfeed um I have a hard time believing that it is worth it for a lot of people um I think like doing my own sort of crazy person research when I was on board and on maternity leave was like I was led to believe it was just you know you have to do it. And then I was sort of looking at it and I was like, man, it was something like 10% less chance of an ear infection in the first six months. And I was like, who can like have an ear infection then save me all this time. Um, and again, I did do it because your 
you, I don't know, for me, at least I felt pressure and it was sweet. There are like, I think to, to my saying with there are moments that were really sweet and I, I'm glad I got to experience it. And some days now I even miss it, but man, it is a time suck. And it means that you cannot have an equal relationship with your partner. Well, I was going to say, so it's a time suck, and, but I think we should be very explicit. It's expensive. I think people say that breastfeeding is free, but like Laura's time, right, is so valuable. When you think about the amount of time that Laura and only Laura can breastfeed her son, right? And so like that, it's like, it's outrageously expensive. And so maybe, maybe you might still make the decision to do it, but I think we should acknowledge how much it's costing. It's like, look, this is like truly truly um like outrageously and i i mean similar well and i really kind of um idolized i think breastfeeding before i was doing it now that i'm in it right i think i right it's, it, there's parts of it that are, that are very sweet but it feels very um there's parts of it that also feel very unromantic and very like cool this i just like this child is like literally sucking the life force out of me (laughs) and like and you're gonna be doing that quite a bit um so yeah i just want to plus one that i was very surprised by um that narrative as well and and i don't think i don't maybe this is people know better than i i've never i'd never really been around babies until i had one um but i didn't realize like it's like you feed them every two to three hours in the beginning at least that was the case for us And, but that means like from the beginning of breastfeeding. So if it takes 45 minutes to breastfeed, which it kind of does in the beginning, then you're like doing it basically an hour, you get like an hour break maybe. And then that hour break, you're probably changing a diaper or doing whatever. Um, You're definitely not like having a great time in that hour and being productive. And I would just like, it'd be like, okay, now it's time again. And I was just like, oh God, I can't, like, I just did this. And I just ended up feeling so resentful. Like, I don't even want this right now. Um, that it kind of ruined some of the sweetness for me. I think it gets better. I stopped breastfeeding at maybe five months or something. Um, I think it, sorry, the dogs are barking. I think it gets better from what I understand because you're breastfeeding less and less over time as the kid gets older, but it's pretty brutal in the beginning. I think a point you kind of like the underlining thing there is that goes back to that guilt because you like feel like you're not doing the right thing if you didn't breastfeed. So you you feel like you have to, everyone's been doing it for Or you like, feel guilty because you don't want to do it and everyone talks about how special it is. Right, yeah, exactly. That's a really good point, exactly. Gosh, you just can never win. <laughs> yeah. And there was, there was a formula shortage. Well, I don't know if the formula shortage is still on, but that was quite a big deal, right? A couple months ago, there was a formula shortage. It's getting better, but it's still there. <laughs> Yeah, because like people, I saw like the price of formula was going up. People were like selling like it on Facebook for ridiculous extortionate prices of all things to kind of ex- yeah extort people for. It's mad. What about you, Maya? Um, Here's what I would change: I would make it so that your baby shower happens after the baby's born because I have. I mean, we, that's not what you do. You have the baby shower before, which makes some amount of sense. But I feel like. I was very surprised by, again, like Laura, I hadn't spent that much time with babies. They actually don't need very much. Like diapers, I feel like they need diapers and that's it. Like your breastfeed, like they don't need anything else. And everything else, there's a bunch of things that might make your life slightly nicer. Um, Like having a diaper pail, 
I don't think I need it, but it is slightly nicer um, than, you know, my trash can. I like live in a house in the suburbs. My trash can is right outside my front door. Like we can just take the diapers out, you know, once a day or twice a day. Um, And so, but I feel like if you had the baby shower after, you would have a better idea of what you need or what the baby is interested in or more of like a rolling baby shower, um, right? Like we've been, I mean, our baby loves, um, loves to be swaddled. I think almost all babies do. Um, also a lot of the swaddles end up with spit up or pee or other bodily fluids on them. So we are like cruising through swaddles. So I bought a lot more swaddles, right? And if I had gotten to sort of experience that and trial that, I would have been like, cool, I need a lot of swaddles on my, on my baby shower registry and I don't need all of this other stuff. Um, so that's something that, that I would change baby showers after the baby's born. Plus you can drink then at your own baby yes, shower. Yes, you can drink, right. You've got so much more, right. You feel better. You look better. You know, a rolling baby shower sounds good. Like if you could just have it up until the child's 18. So everyone can just help you out. <laughs> Basically <laughs> a birthday that. party. <laughs> well, and that's kind of, I mean, after I announced, um, the baby on Twitter, like some people asked me for my registry. And so I did get to, I was like, okay, cool. Like, and you're getting the version. Now you change it. Yeah. Where it's like the things that I yeah. know that I want and need. And so that was actually kind of cool. But, um, right. Realistically, the baby shower happened before then. And I didn't, you know, I've never been a mom before. I had no idea what kind of stuff I needed. I was like, add this thing and that thing. And, and I am using all of it, but some of it is much more valuable than others. And I would have had a better idea after the baby's here. So I'm Nigerian and, um, 12 days after a baby's born, we have a naming ceremony, which is essentially a baby shower. But like the thing about the naming ceremony is like you get different names from different people, like your paternal grandfather, etc. So technically I have like seven first names, I only use two though. But <laughs> essentially that's kind of a baby shower because that's when, I mean, 12 days is not that much of a difference to like, I guess before, but like that's when they do it because like people can party properly or ish. That's cool. And, uh, yeah, I guess you, I don't know, maybe it's so that they have a better idea of what they need. I'm not really sure about that aspect, but actually it's 14 days. It's also nice because people can meet your baby. Yeah, yeah, too, exactly. So it's like you're, you're knocking it all out at once. Yeah, I'm actually going to do, that's, that's such a nice idea. I know um, Asian cultures have a hundred days party, right? So when the baby's a hundred days old and it's sort of, it's sort of like that's when we celebrate the baby being born, right? Because infant mortality has historically been really high. Um, and it's like, if you make it through the first hundred days, right, you're like, good to go. And they do a naming ceremony and a, and a couple of different things. So I was going to kind of co-op part of that, or maybe do like a graduation from fourth trimester, which is really about the same time, um, party and do a couple of different things that, um, I think it just, just with my, my family. Um, but that's cool to hear, right. That Nigeria does the 12 days party because it's very much in line with, the timeline that I think would be really useful for, for getting support from, from your family. Um, I also think one of the things with the baby showers, you only get stuff for the baby. My priority list for postpartum would be number one is diapers. Number two through 10 would be things to support the mom. Like, or like, that's how I feel. Yeah. Like yeah. so much. So it's like all my baby gifts for people now are like massage for the yes. mom. It's just like all the baby stuff is like you can either it's hand-me-downs or you put on your registry or you buy it later or who cares. Yeah, who cares? Or it's just get used onesies or whatever. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter, yeah. but yeah. like yeah. stuff for mom is is critical and so much more important. I agree. All my baby gifts are, are mom gifts at this point because I'm like, who can – it's just yeah, like that. 
So, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I did at some point prioritize myself and I was like, this is going to be better for the baby too. But like, I've, I'm the one who's just been through something horrific. <laughs> I should have had this conversation last week so I could have made a quick change on some of my baby registry stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have to normalize that, though, because I think it would be a little odd if you went onto a registry and it was all, like, <laughs> facials, <Right> massages. <laughs> or even, I was like, I don't know, can I put, like, nipple ointment on my baby registry? <laughs> like, is that a normal thing or is that a weird thing? That seems so, kind of like, that thing. seems like that makes sense. I'm, I'm sorry. I feel like if I saw nipple ointment, I'd be like, well, yeah, fad. Like, she's, she's uh, breastfeeding. Yeah. That, that seems, Vaginal yeah. ice packs. <laughs> high-waisted underwear you know diapers high-waisted oh yeah well you know those that's my other gift for c-section people i have a c-section i'm like buy get the high just get the giant underwear that's all you need. as high as they go it's what you want i still wear it i love it yeah oh man well on that note <laughs> this was an amazing conversation i re- i really appreciate it you guys you know validated a lot of the things that you know i'm going through and will be going through very soon with the breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff. my goal is to do 50 50 like 50 percent formula 50 percent breastfeeding so that i'm not spending as much time doing it but i don't have the guilt of not doing it all I think if you break the seal on formula early, like you just, we had to because he what, couldn't get enough food early and it was good. It was a bless. I was like really emotional about it in the hospital. And then it ended up being a great thing because I felt less pressure then. I was like, he's already had formula. If we've ruined him, he's already ruined. So that's fine. All the things I have to look forward to in about 10 weeks. <laughs> crazy (laughs) crying constantly about your target order i'll literally i'll probably be like super hormonal like i'm just gonna go back and listen to this podcast to make me feel better about what i'm going through (laughs) such a wild experience uh well thank you so much for joining you guys uh this was super helpful uh helen did we scare you away from motherhood do you feel better about it potentially now what's your vibe from the other point (laughs) do you know okay number one i think it's been really educational like that's what i would say that's how i would describe this but also like i've i've always been one of those people who's wanted like maybe because i had a niece so young like i had i became an auntie when i was like 15 so i mean she's mate she's like she's like 11 now and we, she was born on my 16th birthday as well. So it was quite, I don't know, there was something really, really there. And so I don't know, like I've always been around babies. Um, I, like my friends have babies and all, all that sort of stuff. And I like to live vicariously through people because <laughs> I don't want a child right now. <laughs> so I, I love to babysit. I love to hang out with babies. I just think like, oh, but then I love that I don't have one. Yeah, um, nice. But no, it didn't put me off. It just um, educated me on what to expect when I expect, but no time soon. I really hope we didn't scare you away, Julie. <laughs> no, like you're, no. You're about to enter the abyss, but it's, tr- it's, and, and Maya's really, truly in it. Um, and good for you for doing one thing every day. I think I did zero things for most days for a long time, but um, man, now like it gets so much better. So much better. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to those fun times. I think like four to six months I was like, okay, this is actually fun. I could do this okay. again. Right at th- around the end of that f- uh, fourth trimester. Yeah. Yep. That's a real thing. It's appropriate that I can hear your child in the background. <laughs> I know. Right I now was the children, the dog. <laughs> that should be the outro music. <laughs> Beyond 2%. Wow, what an incredible episode to start the Beyond 2% series. So next episode is Stock Girl Summer, which is something I'm not only passionate about, but I think is so important. We'll be discussing all things investing, if gender matters in this topic, and honestly, where to begin, because honestly, it can be very intimidating. Tune in next month to have a listen.